Roboteers, stand by, because this is Game Shows, I Suppose. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Niche Podcast about the one thing that knows something about game shows, I suppose. I am your host, Jordan Haas. We have a fantastic episode today because we'll be talking about Robot Wars. This is the Robot Wars episode, and when I started this podcast, I made checklists of what shows to cover because they're technically game shows. And this is one of them. And if this isn't one of the better episodes, well, oh well. But we have one of the guests, Luke, who also has a podcast, who is a leading expert in Robot Wars. They stop by and talk about this iconic game show from the UK. But before we get into the Robot Wars arena, the warehouse, the pit, I think it's time we have to go through the news. How about that Bob Iger stuff? I, I know. Uh, let's see here. Uh, well, last week we had a bit of news, and then suddenly, you know, things, things kind of just uploaded. And then news after news after news, and, well, not to play a bit of catch-up. So, first of all, uh, Ellen's Game of Games is getting a fourth season. So, hey, it broke the curse, the NBC curse of uh, game shows lasting only three seasons. Uh, Deal only had three seasons. Uh, the Wall had allegedly three seasons. The only wonder ones that survive it are things like America's Got Talent, The Voice, uh, American Ninja Warrior. But Ellen's Game of Games, you know, an in-studio quiz show, one of those, uh, gets a fourth season. Uh, NBC has reviewed its hit alternative series, Ellen's Game of Games, for a fourth season. The Generous revealed the pickup this morning on the Ellen Generous show, during which she had audience members play the always messy danger word to celebrate. <laughs> You're covered in goop. <laughs> You're covered in goop. <laughs> You're covered in goop. <laughs> uh oh. You're covered in goop. <laughs> I'm so excited. I love the show so much, said Ellen Generous. It makes me so happy. I love games. It combines all my favorite things, prizes and surprises. I'm sure you've seen it, but if you haven't, you've been missing out. We can't wait to get started on the next round of episodes. Last season, Ellen's Game of Games reached a total of more than 66 million viewers and scored as Primetime's number one game show. This is both very true, accurate statements. Uh, so far this season, the show is averaging a 1.2 rating with adults 18 to 49 and 5.2 million overall on Live Plus 7 Day Nelsons. And it's a strong family attraction tied for fourth. The series launched originally January 2nd, 2018, ranked as number one new alternative series in 2017-28 season. It's hosted by DeGeneres and Steven Twitch Boss. Ellen's uh, Game of Games returned to NBC for its third season, January 7th. 
Every episode features the generous, mischievous personality, along with a raucous roster of games, including favorites from a popular daytime show, as well as new ones like Mazed and Confused, Runaway Bride, and Dirty Laundry. Good dozens on the show play different games over four rounds. The winner of each round advances to nowhere go, and the winner of that round proceeds to hot hands for a chance to win a $100,000 cash prize. Yes! Now you're just doing my job here, Futon Critic. Now you're just doing the game shows, I suppose. Uh, Ellen's Game of Games, Bruce Bale Jones, Kevin A. Lehman II, Mary Connolly, Ed Glevin, Andy Lassner, uh, Derek Wesserfeld, Daniel Norris, Nora Bonvit, and Jeff Kleeman. You know, I just think Ellen just wants to... Uh, you know, the thing is, though, I think Ellen's Game of Games did not do well in Australia, though. I think it was one of the first uh, international formats and kind of flopped. Uh, I hate to just turn the happy news into a, like a weird uh, news. I thought that that didn't work out so well. And I think they're trying to do one for the UK right now. I Maybe. I, 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 heard, I heard somewhere I think they're attempting a UK game of games. I mean, Ellen's brand is, is very popular, and, I mean, the games aspect of Ellen's show has been... And it's basically a tournament structure. It's just do these games, and then winner plays on. I still wish they play, like, a Price is Right style, where they win cash if they win the challenge, but eh, it's fine. Um, this new series, Series 3, Season 3, uh, has been one of my favorite seasons so far because of the more variety of formats... I, I kind of had more fun watching this one. Although I still think a lot of them are just kind of playing up the, let's l- look at how cruel these people, th- these games are, and ha-ha, they're screaming and getting covered in goop. Ha-ha, they're screaming and getting covered in goop. Ha-ha, they're, they're screaming and getting covered in goop. And it becomes this thing where it's like, I, I, Ellen has to be faking this at this point, right? Like, you can only see someone falling into goop 4,000 times before you just go, <laughs> yeah, it's funny, right? <laughs> um, but hey, you know, as long as she's having fun with the show and it's doing profitable, I mean, keep going with it. It's a success. It's hot. Hot, hot, hot. So um, I can only expect what kind of games are coming up for season four. Because uh, every season there's always some new games. Classic favorites. And, of course, Nowhere Go, also known as Don't Drop Me Ellen, Don't Drop Me Ellen, Ha Ha You Fell. Uh, next is uh, Mental Samurai got announced for a Season 2 pickup. Competition series, uh, Mental Samurai, renewed for a second season, premiering Wednesday, April 22nd on Fox. Did they already film them? I thought they are casting right now. I thought they were casting for, for Ninja uh, Mental Samurai. Ninja Warriors uh, quiz, quiz show. Uh, Competitary's Mental Samurai has been renewed for his second season, announced by Rob, Rob Wade. Oh, so I actually, oh man, I liked Mental Samurai. I just thought the the new form, the, they need to change that format a bit. Mental Samurai is the perfect combination. Oh, wait, hang on a sec. Uh, Mental Samurai is uh, is a one-of-a-kind show that brilliantly marries intellect and physicality, and we're happy to partner with Warner Horizon Unscripted, Arthur Smith, and Jeff Apeloff. To bring it back for a second season, said Wade, of course, at the heart of Mental Samurai is the incomparable Rob Lowe, who between this and the fantastic work on 911 Lone Star, available now on Fox and Fox On Demand, has become such a key member of the Fox family. Uh, this show fires on every single level, said Mike Darnell, president of Warner, <laughs> Warner Brothers Scripted and Alternative Television, also Mike Darnell, formerly of Fox. 
unscripted. I remember when they worked there. Uh, I like Mike so much. Uh, Rob Lowe, the producing team, the set, the technology, and the network. We couldn't ask for a more perfect combination. Mental Samurai is the perfect combination of game show, sporting event, and thrill ride. Well, that it is technically a thrill ride because the, the spinning orb uh, in which everyday people from across the country battle each other and the clock, answering a wide variety of fun and interactive questions about topics ranging from the Hall of Presidents to Hall of Notes. If that wasn't enough, presidents, uh, players must tackle these difficult questions while being whipped around the arena, strapped to Ava, a high-speed capsule and robotic arm capable of twisting and turning a full 360 degrees. Technically not really 300. I mean, like, it can turn around 360 degrees, but, like, the, the it's not fully 360. I mean, it's, it's, it's if anything, 258, because there's that big uh, pillar in the center. Uh, engineering experts will probably tell you that, too. Uh, the stakes have never been higher this season as players will earn money with each correct answer, but even when make one mistake, the ride comes to a screeching halt. At the end, the player who correctly answers the most questions the fastest will enter Circle of Samurai to win up to $100,000. Fuck, he actually took... Holy shit! They actually changed the format into... What the hell? We'll enter the Circle of Samurai for just $100,000 to return the next night to face a new group. Holy shit, they're actually doing my format! That's my fucking... That was what I pitched! In my review of Metal Samurai, I said that. I said they should t- make it so for every correct answer, you get like a point, and whoever gets the most gets like money, like, like a mastermind. And oh my god, they... I gotta thank the people at Mental Samurai right now. I know they aren't listening to this podcast. Maybe they are. I don't know. But if they are, and they took what I said into consideration and came up with this point, thank you so much. Because I like Mental Samurai. I, I think the, the the variety of towers, the puzzles, the thrill. I mean, I would not want to be a contestant because I can eat. I I blacked out on the Batman ride, so I don't think me being strapped to Ava is a good thing. But uh, <laughs> I just don't do good flip the loops. That's all. Uh, but uh, the, 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 this idea of like I don't know, maybe like a Wonder Wall, or maybe it's like for every correct answer you get one thousand dollars. But if you flop or run out of time, the game ends. I like that. I like that idea because that means you can have returning champions. And with a returning champion, that means that you're going to have more famous like people if they continue and they have like a three-episode streak or a two-episode streak. And you're like, oh, I know so-and-so from Mental Samurai. I like that so much. That is so good. Because uh, cause then it's like the winner of the episodes, the Mental Samurai, not just like a year-long tournament to win some big money. I like that so much. Oh, man. Uh, Mental Samurai were uh, inscripted. A Smith and Company, Appaloff, uh, Arthur Smith, Mike Darnell. I, I love it. I love this. Uh, so, I, for me, this this is the first time I've ever been a little, like, blanked out on a <laughs> press release. Normally, I'm like, oh, okay. I guess I'll read this. Okay, yeah, Rob. And then it said, we're changing the format a bit. And I went, what? And then I read it. I'm like, wait, that's kind of what I... That is amazing to me. I'm not saying I have power in this fucking industry, but that is amazing. I love... I love this show. I, I just wish they changed the format, and they're changing the format. And something tells me with this new format... You're going to see streaks. You're going to see people like get question after question right. 
in your and as long as you have that play along factor because that's also an important feature of mental samurai is you have to have that uh that play along if they can continue that play along it's good we are going to see a great new season of the show it is besides beat shazam has been one of my favorite formats in network for a while and uh i'm perked up i'm smiling right now this is my jam right now (laughs) i can't wait all right let's keep going i don't think anything's gonna break on of okay ABC News, primetime special, Shark Tank, colon, greatest of all time, airs Wednesday, February 26th. Well, that's today. Hey, guys, today, go watch Shark Tank. Uh, Okay, it's a game show. Technically, it's a game show because there is a goal. It's you got to convince one of these five people to agree to give you uh, money in exchange for a percentage of a company. So it's a negotiation-based game show. Is your product viable for these investors? If so, how much? I consider it a game show. Some people don't claim Shark Tank being a game show. In my, but because you know, like, but I consider it, it's a judgment-based game show. So, mm, kind of like Songland, if that makes sense. Uh, so, <clears throat> uh, primetime special on the hit entrepreneurial show Shark Tank features the most successful products, unforgivable pitches, and clever entrepreneurs from past eleven. Years. So, so we're going to see uh, Cousins Maine Lobster, and we're probably going to see uh, Scrub Daddy, right? And then ring video doorbell. <laughs> Uh, the critically acclaimed entrepreneur-themed program, Shark Tank, has been on the air for 11 seasons, and now a one-hour primetime special reports on the most successful products, unforgivable pitches. Don't they do that, like, in the commercial breaks on Shark Tank? Like, whatever happened to the Barbecue Boys? The Barbecue Boys sold a sleet of hot sauces, and now here's where they are now. Uh, over the, uh, okay, successful progs, unforgettable pitches, and clever entrepreneurs to appear over the years. Shark Tank colon, grace of all time, features interviews with sharks, uh, iconic sharks, Mark Cuban, Barbara Corcoran, Lori Grenier, Robert Herjavec, Damon John, and Kevin O'Leary. So I guess Chris Saka is just out of this too. All right. Uh, we're going to forget about like the time Jeff Foxworthy was a guest judge, uh, guest shark. Uh, the business moguls make startling admissions about the products that got away deals they made with baby sharks who aren't yet old enough to vote and open up about one of the fiercest onset battles uh when their playful business banter turned personal abc news cameras also follow show producers through an open call audition in dallas texas well, so they're all going to try and flirt with Mark Cuban then because it's Texas, right? Uh, where hundreds of inspiring entrepreneurs' products in hand try to get into the tank. The one-hour program looks back at the top guest sharks, features interviews with Shark Tank executives who recalled one pitch that brought all the sharks to tears, previews to what's to come this season, and ask and answers the question, what is the greatest Shark Tank product of all time? Shark Tank, calling grace of all time, is a special edition of 2020, Wednesday, February 26th on ABC. Eh. I mean, I, eh. I, I kind of don't like it when, when you're trying to see what like the greatest Shark Tank product is, because it's like, I don't know. There was like the, the tree topper for fire departments once. There was the... Uh, there was the baby clothes at one time, or the dog food, or the cookies, it's, or the, the, the jars of, of cake, Wicked Good Cupcakes, I remember once. 
like, like there's a lot of different uh, <laughs> products. And, and the thing is, with Shark Tank, it's that's just, just the American version of Shark Tank. I mean, Dragon's Den in the UK, Dragon's Den in Canada, Shark Tank Australia, the the Money Tigers in Japan. Like, there, it's one of these things where it's just kind of like, well, like, for right now, maybe this or maybe that. Uh, and what makes Shark Tank an engaging show is ideas. It's kind of supposed to be like a promotional vehicle for what's new, what's next, what's coming soon in the world of products. This is kind of not just a peek into the near future. It's also a peek into business making. And as long as they continue showing off like these products, I mean, like keep going with this, but I think one of these grace of all time specials just feels like something they would have saved for like a 300 episode special or 200 episode special Unless it's like, what, the 10-year anniversary of Shark Tank or something around that kind of thing, then maybe. I don't know. But, I mean, like, Shark Tank is definitely one of those shows where I think at this point people are now desperate to be auditioned to be on that show. And then if they get onto the tank, they go into the Sony Pictures a lot. They see the – they pitch their product. What if they go, no, I'm good? Or, no, you're not vital. I'm good. I think there's a lot more devastation this time around, considering the economy is still kind of bad and people are desperate for investing money. Uh, but hey, maybe that's just a sign for Kevin O'Leary, a uh, noted uh, boat enthusiast, to uh, make some more cutthroat deals. My favorite shark is Barbara Corcoran. Uh, next, speaking of ABC... ABC, if you can't get enough of unscripted dramas on ABC, the network that's bringing us Don't, which hasn't been on the air yet, and uh, all the revivals of almost every game show from Pyramid to Supermarket Sweep to Millionaire to $100,000 Pyramid to To Tell the Truth to Card Sharks to Match Game to Celebrity Family Feud, uh, The Bachelor... Coming soon, Bachelor, uh, sing, sing With Your Heart, has another spinoff series, which is really not really a spinoff if you consider some of their earlier series. <sighs> okay. According to E.T. Online Entertainment Tonight, cancel your summer plans because The Bachelor will be airing not one, not two, but three shows over summer 2020. Rob Mills, Senior VP of Alternative Specials Late Night, confirmed to appearance on Monday's Bachelor Party Podcast. Oh, I see how it is. I see how it is, Rob. You're willing to go to the Bachelor Podcast, but you're not willing to go on game shows, I suppose. I see how it is. See how it is, Rob. See how it is. That's your Bachelor Party. I see how it is. No, no, you're not getting my rose now, Rob. I don't care how many game shows you reboot. No, my feelings are not hurt that you're going on other podcasts. No. Anyway, so uh, Rob went on. The, <laughs> Rob is actually a really chill guy. Uh, Rob is, uh, he said on the Bachelor Party podcast that Bachelor Summer Games is going, which is basically a spinoff of the Bachelor Winter Games, which aired in 2018, two years ago. Get it? Because they did Winter Games, but now we're doing Summer Games. 
A nod to the Olympics. Winter Games aired four episodes over two weeks in February 2018. While Ari Lennox's Bachelor season was still airing, the show featured a cast of Bachelor Nation favorites from around the world competing in various winter sports challenges and trying to find love along the way. Summer games will overlap with the upcoming season of The Bachelorette, Mills said, noting it won't replace Bachelor in Paradise, which usually films in June and airs in August after The Bachelorette season finale. What's nice about summer games is when we did winter games, Bachelor was still airing, so it was a lot to, this This is just summer games, and then ba- Paradise will start, Mills said. I think it's going to be really fun. We found a really great place to hold it, but I mean, it's going to be fun seeing these people in these great sports. I mean, track and field, swimming. This is the real Olympics, he added. Noonday, he'll love to see Colton Underwood, Jordan Rogers, or JoJo Fletcher appear on this. I think this is just an excuse to get the hunks into swimwear. I think this is just an excuse to do like a swimming competition so you can see people in, in Speedos. I think that's all the Bachelor Nation want. They want to see the hunks expose their abs wearing wearing bikinis, bikini cuts. They want to see the ladies. They want to see the ladies. The guys want to see the hot ladies uh, wear uh, nice crop tops as they start running in a track and field. I think that's all they want to do, right? That's the Bachelor Nation. I don't know. <laughs> I just remember someone like wiping out royally on winter games. So I forgot which contestant that was. Um, there's also going to be bachelor presents colon. Listen to your heart. April 13th. So many bachelor shows. Eh. I'm, I'm guessing that's our, maybe that's just it. You know, the how love islands on CBS and there's so many dating shows on like UK television as well. Maybe Bachelor's just the great American uh, like show because eventually one of these contestants ends up being famous and it's like they're famous for being on The Bachelor Bachelorette. Or, so that's just going to tell me that they're eventually going to end up on MTV's The Challenge, right? Because that's usually how it goes on a lot of these, uh, sing- these shows is that these MTV shows like Are You the One or uh, Real World... You end up on the challenge, so Bachelor Nation is just basically ABC's answer to that. I find it very fascinating. Uh, but hey, you know, ABC has the market now on uh, unscripted shows. So, well, I, I guess I have to be watching that because it is technically a game show. Bachelor is a game show. Bachelorette is a game show. Listen to your hearts, I guess, going to be a game show. I, I feel like I'm, I'm going to be like just... It's going to be one of those situations where it's going to be like, I have to like postpone things because I have to spend like nine hours watching every game show (laughs) this summer. Uh, But hey, you know, it could be fun. It could be fun. Uh, So I guess I'll watch a couple episodes. I always have to watch a couple episodes. But uh, do we need more Bachelor? Do we? I, it, I might as well ABC might as well just be unscripted like get rid of all the Shonda shows and just make it unscripted
and finally, we do have to pay tribute to the one Bob Cobert. What you just heard was the theme song to the $25,000 Pyramid. If you ask me, one of the best game show themes of all time. Now, that's a jam. That's a happy-go-lucky groove. Uh, so, Bob Cobert, legendary composer, uh, passed away this week at the age of 95. Uh, the Grammy and Emmy-nominated uh, composer of television's Dark Shadows, Winds of War, died of pneumonia on February 19th in Palm Desert at the age of 95. Uh, you might remember Dark Shadows in the 1960s. Uh, you might also remember uh, him from a laundry list of uh, theme songs in the world of game shows. Uh, Password, To Tell the Truth, Price is Right in the 60s, the Bill Cullen era, and of course, the $25,000 pyramid, which we all now know as the $100,000 pyramid. Other uh, daytime credits include The Doctors, which was a soap opera, and the CBS Afternoon Playhouse. I think I'm having a baby, for which he received the 1981 Daytime Emmy nomination as well. So, if you were a fan of Dark Shadows, or you were a fan of game shows, the news is just not pretty about this. Uh, according to Variety, his final score was that of the 2005 Showtime film Our Fathers, which was based on the Catholic Church sex scandal uh, in retirement he remained popular on the dark shadows fan circuit making several appearances at conventions and he composed and recorded a requiem for helen in memory of his late wife he also taught film composition at usc uh, surviving would be his children william holly and susie and six grandkids so with this news bob Cobert's uh passing very heartbreaking stuff um I mean, I, I just know him for the world of game shows, but a composer does a lot of things, and it's very hard work. And as I've said time and time again on this show, every section of a game show is important, from the host to contestants to writings, and composition is one of the strongest, because that's usually the very first thing you hear when it comes to a game show. So whatever that music is should put you in the mood. And Bob did that successfully in a fleet of game shows. So uh, I, I wish the best for the family. And um, it feels like the second week I have to end the news segment with some sad news. But now it's time to start today's episode. This week's episode starts a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. That's right, Star Wars. The product of George Lucas. In a post-80s world, the trilogy ended and George Lucas founded all sorts of projects, from LucasArts to Lucasfilm and even a toy line for Lucasfilm called Lucas Toys. A person there, by the name of Mark Thorpe, who worked for Lucas Toys Division, came up with an idea of a robot combat sport in 1992 while trying to come up with a radio-controlled vacuum cleaner. Roomba wasn't invented yet. 
Two years later, 1994, Robot Wars had the first competition at the Fort Mason Center in San Francisco. Mark formed a partnership with New York record company Smile Communications and later Profile Records for further funding. Yes, that Profile Records. The record company that gave us DJ Quick, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Poor Righteous Teachers, and some group called Run DMC. There were three further events that took place in 1995, and then Profile Records partnered with the production company Mentron in the UK to produce and televised a Robot Wars event in the UK. Mentorn produced a documentary for ITV about Richard Williams called I Drew Roger Rabbit, which was nominated for an international Emmy, and created the game show Challenge Annika featuring Annika Rice that would attempt to be an American version in 2001 called Challenge America, hosted by environmental justice attorney Aaron Brockovich. But it was this series that was brought on in 1995 that would make him famous. Him and Steve Carsey created a format for TV based on this event and produced the live event in BBC Television Center in Wood Lane, Shepherd's Bush. He hired a guy named Derek Foxwell and created three combat robots, Two of them were the Mouse and Grunt, who were to take on three robots from the United States, Thor, La Machine, and the Master, all of which were featured in the original American format. The event was not filmed, but controller of BBC Two named Michael Jackson promised to commission a series. It wasn't really until it got replaced by Mark Thompson as BBC controller that he fulfilled that promise. Six episodes of Robot Wars were made, and that started what would become the global event. Join us now as Luke from NJGW stops by to talk about the iconic robot fighting series. Three, two, one, activate. And, and turn the tables. With me on the line is is friend of the show for f- friend friend from a few discords luke how's it going hey uh, uh i'm, I'm the this... host of the robot wars history podcast and uh so quite qualified to talk about this here wonderful show <laughs> this, this this crazy bonkers game show that it's it's always fun to, when i say we're what like last week, I was like, "Oh, I have a podcast. I'm going to be. Oh, you're doing the game shows, I suppose. Po- yeah, but what's the game show? Robot Wars. That that's a game show. <laughs> uh, I think I think it, it, it kind of elevates it above like a lot of game shows. It's like a lot of game shows. It's just a bunch of it's it's very it's variations on people at panels talking or guessing things. But Robot Wars it created an entire new motorsport. It is a motorsport competition. It is a technical show. Originally, it was kind of like a gladiators kind of competition. Like they were trying to do gladiators, but robots. Yeah, yeah. When when they started out, I think probably because of technical limitations, they realized it couldn't all be just fights. So they had various like courses and such, which I'm sure we'll get to. Uh, so the first couple of series, actually, no, I think it's just one, 1998. That was the f- debut, 1998. It was the 90s. People were people were at the discotheque. They were playing some Super Nintendo, 
and uh, people were dancing to pulp for some reason. And one Jeremy Clarkson, fresh from his his journalistic background in motorsports. <laughs> And I believe just started Top Gear. I'm not sure. Like I think Top Gear came a few years later, or at least the Top Gear that everyone like remembers and loves. That was like a 2000s thing. So th- this could have been the Clarks. This is the Jeremy Clarkson Afro era Clarkson. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Jeremy Clarkson in a leather jacket, a bizarre Afro, and just <laughs> completely yeah. disinterested in the show he's presenting. <laughs> He is just like, this is a competition unlike any other. This is a wall. I am actually presenting a wall right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Jeremy Clarkson, this host, is... I mean, you can't blame the man. He he takes the piss relentlessly out of everything that enters, which, yeah, I mean, half the things that were entering, they were like wooden boxes on wheels. Most of them broke down. <laughs> they didn't really know what to do. It was like... <laughs> Everyone they was just foil, they wrapped it around a, a, a pie tin, and that was it. <laughs> they called it a day. There were there were literal competitors, which were um, like plastic shells on top of RC cars, because <laughs> they didn't know what to do. The, 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 it was a, it was a novel idea, and in the original run, it was played with three rounds: a gauntlet, a trial, and an arena. Uh, the gauntlet was like an obstacle course kind of thing, like go up these the bridge, uh, push this push this block over. Yeah, and um, yeah, they they had to go through the gauntlet. They had to get through uh, the so they had to get through probably the most the most iconic aspect of the show, the house robots, which were robot, which were kind of uh, designed to be a lot a lot bigger, a lot tougher. They weren't restricted by weight limits. And they were basically there as a kind of enforcers, or just if things are getting a bit boring, to just go in and break one of them, just kill them. And uh, there, and originally there was, there was a few interesting house robots. Uh, I mean, like everyone, it was like it was the original four were Dead Metal, Matilda, Sergeant Bash, and Shunt. <laughs> yes. Um... And yeah, uh, Dead Clarkson was really like, loved to play with the word shunt because it rhymes with something. Uh, the shunt was basically like a giant stuff. bulldozer ball, like just a giant bulldozer shovel thing. Yep, with a big axe on top. Uh, Sergeant Bash had like a little pincher and like a flamethrower on top, and that's all people just remember was the flame throwing up. It- it did originally enter with a saw on the back until uh, the saw broke off at one point, and this actually happened. Missed it, flew off and missed Jeremy Clarkson's head by like inches. He came very close to being decapitated, which probably would have meant the end of the show. <laughs> That's our show, everybody. Jeremy Clarkson passed away at the age of forty-one this evening. <laughs> And that's why uh, later series they added the little plexiglass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Matilda had the chainsaw, and then Dead Metal was this really big pincher bot with spikes around it. Uh, so in round two, it was this thing called a trial, which was like all the ones that survived. They now have to go, like go through a different mini game, like a sumo wrestling or British bulldog or a Skittles competition. Yeah, there were there, there were like mazes as well. It was just yeah, it was. 
it was really it was really them just being as creative as they could, which is, I mean, as as the bots got more advanced and they went on to just pure fighting. That was Kevin, it, the third final round was the arena, that. and that's the thing that everyone remembers from the show because that was what became the format. Is just yeah. this arena. <laughs> In the arena, it's essentially fight to the death with these robots. Yeah, um, not so much, not not so dramatic, of course, back in those early days. Um, Balls would go out because they got a bit on fire, and the producers freaked out and stuff, or just fell over. Yeah, the original uh, arena was not really uh, theatrical, to say the least. It was kind of like, here's the corners, and then there's the corners where the robots are, and then the house robots on the other side. And it was basically like, if you go to any of these corners, these robots will mess with you a bit. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't until later series that the show would actually, I would say, have its, I would say, theme. It would have this amazing theme, and that is the Craig Charles era. And I believe everyone agrees with that. It's the Craig Charles era. Of well, yeah, I mean, the Craig Charles era, it stretches from uh, the second series through to the final, like, classic Eva series, and it is pretty much the one that everyone remembers. Um Craig Charles, God bless him. He 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 started off the show. Um, in, he started off the show pretty chill, and then uh, towards the early thousands, which may or may not coincide with uh, his cocaine addiction, he he became he would literally like sh- every other word he would be screaming, shouting, getting the crowd to scream and shout. It was just a fantastic showman. Because this is fresh off Red Dwarf, right? When Craig Charles got Robot Wars, so it was like yeah, yeah. So this is like, oh, wow. So he's going to play his character again. And in the first couple, it's like, oh, you know, it's just a fun, friendly competition. <laughs> and then, like, near, like, the Extreme War series and, and the World Series and series, like, the 2000s era, you're right. He just kind of just goes like, we want to see destruction, don't we? We want to see fire and brimstone. <laughs> yeah, and during this, during that time, he wore this incredible biker jacket which was just like had all these robot wash patches on them and i wish i could but i wish i could find one there's that i wish i could have one I could, i'd pay so, so much it, it had a junkyard wars vibe like a little <laughs> <laughs> like this like greasy guy who just here to just see some annihilation it had more underground feel in the later runs uh they gave more plexiglass safety rules yeah uh, they kind of <laughs> yeah they had to <laughs> And they added a lot more weapons. There was fire now. There was uh, spikes. And uh, the house robots. And most important of all, one of the new rules, the pit of death. Because that yeah. was in season one and then kind of just became a mainstay in later arena battles. The infamous pit of doom. <laughs> yeah, the the pit was... The, the pit is something that kind of, I think distinguished it helped distinguish robot wars a lot from its uh, american counterpart battlebots which was just basically a square <laughs> a square with nothing but walls uh, there were the saws wall. there were saws and flips oh yeah true, that was, it. there it was, was flips a, and there, saws. There, saws there was the pull the hammers at the side but yeah the the what the pit kind of did i think is it kind of uh, gave an advantage towards more kind of like controlling bots like bots that can that will just lift or push because they've got an insta kill zone if they can get you to it. And it, it also added a more American Gladiator's flair, where it's the if a bot is incapacitated, instead of just waiting the 10 or 20 or 30 seconds, I'll just gently push it over to 
to the bed just in this right now. And as everyone knows, like, kid, it's, it's time over. You hear the audience go, push, 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 down, down, down. Yeah, it's just, yeah the, I think it might be, yeah, it's like the sound design. The for, the for the crowd noise, they had, like, two buttons. It was, like, pit, pit, pit. Or it would be, like, even in even in fights where they're not there, just, Razor, Razor. Razor being, like, one of the, like, legendary competitive bots. But they just play it in, like, half the fights. Uh it just was it brought a lot of fun i love the robot wars arena more than battle bots too for this reason because there's a lot more strategy and also there's a sumo aspect with battle bots uh there is no pit around it because they kind of said okay if the bot goes outside of the arena like you flip them out it's over we're done that's well, considered you elimination. Could, i mean you could barely do it in the battle bots one because the wall the the wall, the the barrier between like the inner wall and the outer wall was like they were right next to each other. They were but... trying to bounce it. They usually bounce them back into the arena. It's like, not yeah. fun. I mean, uh, you, you would go out if you got chucked out in the um, robot wars arena. And at first, it was when it at first it was like when that when someone got someone out, it was a huge event. But over the years, they kind of like made the wall shorter and the. All the robots like flippers, they got even more powerful. And like, yeah, by the end of the series, like half the fights were just ending in and out of the arenas from like across, just like dunking, just like shooting them out from like halfway across the arena. It got pretty ridiculous. It's a spinner bond and a flipper bond. The spinner bond hits the flipper bond and he flies and then he almost hits and everyone gets annoyed. Then the flipper bond is like flips the like a little like crepe or pancake and then goes into the other arena. <laughs> that was like a good chunk of matches. Also, it, it brought on some other house robots. I know we can just go through every house robot. Uh, to, to be f- thankfully, does it? Yeah, there's not that many of them. I mean, the second series is where they brought in the like most iconic ones, Circle a lot, which was like it was like seven times heavier than the like competitors, and it just had these this big claw and a lance, and it was basically just there to be a big bastard. It was it's the, it's the big annoying cl- and also that was the one that I saw a lot on uh, shirts like it was weird when I saw merchandise for the show it's like it's it's <laughs> something tells me that's like the prime like you weren't like a middle schooler kid you were like a 12 13 year old in 2000 unless you were like wearing a circle lot shirt oh I mean it, it looked the part it had the like it had it had a very like grim industrial like night look uh, <laughs> And then you had Sentinel. Who cares about Sentinel? <laughs> Sentinel I like is because it was literally just the it, it was just this big arm that just bumped into things, and the, it was actually driven by someone who was inside it. So I mean, thank God they didn't keep it in later series, or else someone would have just cut him in half. And then you had Mister Psycho, which had yeah. this uh, Thanos face. Uh, <laughs> Then you had Growler the dog, and they kept they tried to have a story like this was Sir Killalot's dog. Or something. Yeah, it was Mister Psycho's dog, and Growler was like probably the by the end the best bot there because it was like it just it had just insane drive. It was like thirty miles an hour it could just break you by just slamming into you. And then like, um, just Chrome, which had the I, that weird face that I saw in a lot of Avatar back in the day, because <laughs> that that big old light up eyeball. <laughs> Uh, and then my favorite, don't tell anyone this is my favorite, the ref bot. <laughs> yep. Um, <laughs> this dorky little, like, Star Wars droid. 
It really is. It really is like um, something you'd find in, in the extended universe. It's it's basically there to put out fires and count what's out of a big clock on its end, on its chest. Yeah, the big clock, and then he has like a sign that's supposed to be like a red card, yellow card situation. <laughs> I never, yeah, I never got what those were for because they never meant anything. <laughs> uh, basically, they were kind of like to play because of the pro wrestling aspect. They wanted to have, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, they if, were there for sure. If the house robot goes out of the corner and fights, instead of the rule of if they go into the corner, you can attack them. Oh, that's a yellow card. You can't do that, sir. Kill a lot. <laughs> and then it was kind, of, but it was kind of playing as a rule. I think they had like an unknown, unspecified rule where it was the the ro- the robots can uh, fight, but it's only for five seconds, even if it's outside of the corner. Just it has to be in that area because they wanted to really yeah, just have they, more they, carnage they... and sparks and. <laughs> They weren't supposed to leave the corner until, unless one of the robots was immobilized. But I mean, they frequently did, and there, there are examples of matches that they just blatantly interfered in. Probably because the producers were like, "Oh, this this one kind of this bot's winning, but it sucks and it doesn't look good, so let's just get rid of it." <laughs> are you saying the show may or may not be rigged? <laughs> not rigged. Just the, just putting the hands on the scale a bit every yeah. now and then. We want the kids to win. We need at least a mother daughter duo. Come on, we need we need women. We need the women. Can you just like knock out this like veteran player for a bit? I think I think though we have we have omitted to uh, introduce the most the MVP of the show, the commentator. From, oh. from series one to oh, ten, yes, Mister Jonathan Pierce. Jonathan oh. Pierce, uh, he got his start as like a football broadcaster, if I'm not mistaken. Like he did the Channel Five uh, match of the week for a while. Yeah, I think I think he yeah he's and he he's with I think BBC or Sky Sport. I mean I I I don't, I don't know what so I don't know which one it is, but he is he did, I think he did a few like World Cup ones in the most recent. He did the 2002 FIFA World Cup. Nice. I have some notes here. Also, he was the voice in Action Soccer. That PlayStation game. <laughs> so it's fu- it's so awkward, like being a big fan of Robot Wars, and you're like you hear like, "Oh, it's Sergeant Bash. Oh, you don't know what's going to happen. Oh, Sir Kill a lot and Matilda just going after the the ro-. And then like suddenly too, it's on the kick of making a nice punt. <laughs> oh, that's going. That's in, we need some more safeties over. <laughs> oh, but substitution on the field. <laughs> From what I've heard from 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 football fans, a lot of them don't like this. But in Robot Wars, he is probably he's the highlight of like half the fights. The man has the greatest lines on earth. He is the he has great line. I don't know how many how many was like fed to him. It had to have some, but like the way he presents it, it is like it's better than Rogan in the UFC. <laughs> it's better than like most like professional wrestling commentating. Cause it's just this, uh, this enthusiasm mixed with a level of like, I wouldn't say like, I'm not saying he's like intelligent, like he knows engineering background, but he kind of feels like he knows what the plays are going on. Like he's, he's aiming for the fire pit. <laughs> well, I think he, all the all the all the kind of commentators they were done like post show that he he did them over the recordings but I mean yeah it's just the man the man can inf- the man can infuse like 
a a a graduate a bot that is basically a gradual incline, like slowly pushing, I don't know, a box of a spike on it. The man can make it sound like the most exciting thing that's ever happened to anyone. I, the energy he brings is just unparalleled, beautiful. Everything feels like a penalty kickoff and so yeah. forth. <laughs> everything is the nineteen sixty six it's like yeah, everything's like Britain getting the final on Germany or whatever. It's wonderful. And uh, and like people still come up to him and talk about Robo Wars his day. Apparently that's one of his favorite things he's done. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it works because that's I think what gives us this parallel of sports broadcast to it. Sure, you have like a game show host with a Craig Charles or or <laughs> I'm still laughing at Clarkson doing this, but yeah, like there's like a game show element because of the presenting of it, and then there's like a sports broadcast because you have uh, Pierce, and then you have the pit, you have the pit and like uh, interviewers. Ah, oh, yeah, the the pit interviews. They had three in the original. They had uh, Philip Forrester for most of it. Wonderful. Julia Reed, possibly better. Jane Middlemiss had no idea what she was doing, but she but she she had enthusiasm. They wanted to have that uh, that two thousands black leather girl looks like a like a like a Jade Raymond kind of type, kind yeah. of like a. <laughs> We want someone who's like a Lara Croft. Can we get like a Lara Croft type of character in yeah. here? Yeah, I mean it's it's not as bad as um, it's not as bad as what BattleBots did because I think BattleBots would, they were just, I think in the final few series BattleBots literally had just Carmen Electra down. It's like, oh right, we know what you're Electra. going for. They had comedians because it was on Comedy Central. So they were thinking it'll be funny to have some comedians make fun of this. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, aiming towards young adults rather, young men rather than like basically kids like robot wars and then they brought back robot wars uh it's now on discovery channel which thankfully it's actually a much better show in this regard because they actually don't play up for laughs they kind of play it up as an actual sport kind of like robot wars does the one thing i do want to say about the discovery channel one though um I, i've seen a few clips of it and they it's they've done it very strangely i mean obviously they had to edit it down because it aired on the bbc and our things but they they redubbed Jonathan Pierce, and I mean, come on, that's like, that's it's it's like if you did Romeo and Juliet but rewrote Shakespeare's dialogue. It's not on. <laughs> it's uh, it's not that it's not good in a way. And then they rebooted Robot Wars a couple of years back. Uh, and and then you know when I think who's who's a good presenter for this kind of show, Dara O'Brien. I mean, um, yeah, that, I don't think Dara really fit the vibe because he's he's a very like he's a very like kind of downplayed man. He's like a he's like a he's very much a straight man, yeah, kind of guy. It was and, the Dara in Angela Scanlon show, and I will say Angela oh, was actually not that bad. I would say Angela oh, was I'm, actually like a really good presenter <laughs> for the show, but it was Angela was yeah, Angela was a gem. She she like in like by the final series she was like in the pits, like just helping like wrench up like bent armor panels and stuff. She was like Yeah, she she Angela was an absolute gem. Dara seemed out of place, but Dara seemed like he had like eighteen different shows to get through. <laughs> like I have a mock <laughs> I mean, week to, to get fair. through tomorrow, <laughs> then I have to fly back <laughs> for a blockbusters. Yeah. <laughs> And then I have to co- and then I have to be on how have I got news for you. So uh, this is going to be rough. 
Um, yeah. And, and Angela's just going like, so you're having an, so this is a spinner bot. So how many rotations is, this is fascinating. This is faster than my washing machine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. She was, yeah. She, she filled her role wonderfully. And um, so it was kind of like if they had another series, sounds like they were going to drop Dara and make Angela like the main. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, yeah I so, forgot suddenly, we had to really bring up like what's the rules of uh, the the arena fight. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, we have, haven't we? Um, okay, so each fight is like five minutes. In the original series, there were five minutes to a fight. In the reboot, there were three. Um, basically, uh, you fight until either one of the bots is immobilized. Uh, that can be through well, they're 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 basically immobilized by like damage. They're put into the pit. They're thrown out the arena and if a fight if no if both bots are still moving at the end then it goes to a judges panel which basically was constantly rotating the only constant was um professional uh professional sharky uh from uh, hey, Sheffield University and yeah basically it's yeah just just a straight fight to the death straight fight to the death um <clears throat> You're out if you immobilize them for 30 seconds later, 10. You knock them into the pit or out of the arena. And if the clock runs out, there's a panel of judges there uh, for four styles. Style, control, damage, and aggression. Yeah, the the style one was always a bit dodgy. It wasn't it was style so, oh, one. I like the way, you know, they uh, they did flourish. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that, to be honest, I think, that, yeah, I think at some point it just became a way to 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 just give points to the bots that looked nicest, which it's TV show makes sense. Yeah, it mostly went to damage. That was like the biggest one because like, yeah, yeah. I'm seeing wires stick out of this robot. This makes no sense. <laughs> uh, uh, I think I think if we're talking about the arena, we should bring up a few of the like just biggest competitors people might remember. Yes, go right ahead. Um, I think for for the classic series, the big the big kind of three was uh. Chaos 2, which kind of basically, a lot of the things, a lot of the, uh, one thing that kind of distinguishes like Robot Wars and British Robot Combat in general, because it is still a thing, um, even though the show's ended, is a lot of them are flippers, which are basically just, well, they're just, they're just built to kind of throw bots like over, throw them out and such. And Chaos 2 kind of pioneered that. It won two championships, which is kind of, in Robot Wars, at least, no one else really managed it. Um, kind of towards the end of its career, it never really got upgraded, so it just it kind of got outdated, but wonderful, but all the same. Um, Hypnodisc, which people might remember, it's this big old disc uh, painted like a kind of hypno, like hypnotist kind of spiral thing. And yeah, for the, for the first like three series, it was like the scariest thing around because it would just rip bots apart like there's one classic one where there's one classic fight where against uh, a bot called splinter where literally by the end it's hard to tell what it even was it's like this like mushy like just this heap of like garbage by the end <laughs> and just kind the, of the, like the... saying stuff about these robots they kind of mostly all do that but like i mean I think this was one of my favorites that was the one i was yeah, like yeah. okay if you're gonna bring up a robot him to do yeah yeah and probably the most probably the class the most classic and easily the best looking razor which was this 
absolutely beautiful machine with a kind of slow crushing claw. And I think it, I, I think it had like, it had something, I can't remember how many fights it had, but it only ever lost like five and won like 40 or something insane. And it is a bunch of, uh, I'm trying to look at this. Like I'm trying to get like through all of the robots right now. Cause there's a whole, did you know there's, I just found this out like during the recording. There's a whole like fandom wiki devoted to oh, robot the, wars. I, yeah. The robot wars. Wiki, I, on, on my podcast, um, uh, I, I have some of the like, the like admins of the wiki and it's, it's an insane labor of love. Like it's, it's, it's like, you know how Wikipedia has an article on everything that's ever appeared in every like Star Wars novel. It's yeah. it's like that, but for a game show from like twenty years ago, and I love it. It's so it's so in depth. <laughs> it has every like Jonathan Pierce line in here. Like here here is one for Razor. Here is a a, a Razor quote: "Part beak, part bird, part reptile. The whole is deadly." <laughs> He he! I think he brought that up in literally like every every fight. He he came out with that line. Um, yeah, Razor look it it looked it looked fantastic. It was probably the best robot that was like in terms of performance. And um, yeah, yeah. And true, there was a lot of like car it. theme, by the way. There was uh, you forgot your roadblock. Your uh... ah yes, ro- yeah, roadblock. Uh, first champion, literally a ro- literally a car, like a, like a kind of stop sign from like a highway just on a bot and yeah for the first two series it was almost unbeatable and then someone went oh wait we need something that's actually kind of interesting <laughs> uh then you had things like uh then you had a lot of caution tape a lot of black and white so you had your eruption panic attack, your panic yeah. attack uh this, I'm just I'm just like I'm smiling looking at some of these answers <laughs> like for tornado because tornado was oh, an iconic yeah. one too. Uh, so, yeah, to- tornado had a like legendary fight against Razor where they basically to kind of stop the claw getting them they put on like a, sh- a bunch of scaffolding around them and people still get angry about them because they they ended up they it was a very like controversial win and people were like angry about that for like. Decades afterwards. <laughs> you, this is faith. You can't do that. You're supposed to have them hit each other. Yeah. <laughs> I remember being a very angry eight-year-old when that happened. Uh, they sustained damage in that CPZ. Look at that. That wheel is buckled and bent, and now it's Tornado's turn to drive on. That is a decisive moment. <laughs> is, this, is this just Jonathan? Is that just Jonathan Pierce? Yeah, that's my. That, I'm not it's, right anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whenever, yeah. When I, yeah. When we, when I record my podcast, like half the conversation just ends up being Jonathan Pierce impressions. It's so fun to do because he's such an. In, you know why? It's because he has a very enjoyable personality and voice. He's so enthusiastic about what's going on that it makes the viewers enthusiastic about what's going on. Yeah. Can you um, imagine if they got like one of those like afternoon presenters for like one of these football games doing it? All right, that's, I mean, a, if it, if... that's a nice slam. All right, there's a there's a saw blade. Saw blades cutting into the robot. Ah oh, yes, and that Razor's beak is going oh, in. Oh, and here comes the house robot. And Shunt, Shunt is pushing exited. them into the wall. 
Very nice. <laughs> um, yeah, Robot Wars also spawned a bunch of uh, spin-off series overseas. It had two American series, which uh, were hosted by... One was, one was on Spike with, like, uh, Mick Foley and China from the WWE. That's it, Mick Foley. And, yeah, yeah they, yeah, they had a Mick Foley host a kind of a two American series. And um, then they did a Nickelodeon run. Yeah, I, I always forget. I always forget Nickelodeon Robot Wars was a thing, but it was. It was, um, and they were basically what they tried to do was they were trying to get American, like they were trying. They what they, they kind of the gimmick was they tried to get American contestants mostly in it because it was a Nickelodeon run, but they couldn't get it, enough to fly out to the UK arena. That they kind of uh, had to be like, can we like use some of these UK people too, and just like not bring up where they're from and just. My favorite thing about the Nickelodeon robot was is they turned off Sergeant Bash's flamethrower because it wouldn't be appropriate for kids. <laughs> and they kind of, they also got rid of a few other things, and they were really adamant on, can you just like, when the robot's about to die, can you just put him on the, the, the drop zone? Because in the later oh. run, the extreme run, they had a, a new hazard called the drop zone, where <laughs> if a robot is incapacitated, you can, instead of putting it in a pit, Put it on like a giant red X, and then a washing machine just drops on him. The the drop zone was possibly my favorite hazard because it was always ridiculous. They drop a washing machine, they drop bowling balls. One time they just dropped another robot on a robot. It was <laughs> fantastic. It is fun. Now my, my favorite was the television. <laughs> they just had like this big <laughs> television. Um, yeah, there was also a German and a Dutch series. Um, so yeah. Real worldwide stuff. It is an international sensation. Uh, a lot of time they just filmed in the UK set. Other, I don't really think they filmed any. I think others. they. I think they filmed everything. And yeah, they filmed everything at the same uh, TV set. Yeah. And then when they did the re the new version, I, I felt. I, I'm going to be honest. I love the Craig Charles run way more than Doris. That's fair. I think. I think most people do. Um, the. the the reboot kind of had a had trouble finding its footing. I, I, the final series they did of the reboot is probably the best Robot Wars series of ever was. I mean, it was I good mean, robots. Like the fighting was good. It was there was not a lot of arena hazards anymore. <laughs> they kind of went more for the. Uh, yeah, we just like have them here, just like they, uh, they made it. They made it a bit like I'd say more serious and kind of like more. Well, yeah, just more serious, more formal, which kind of, I guess suited because you can't in 2019 you can't have Craig Charles. I mean, you can't have Craig Charles. He's like he's lads like 50 odd now. You can't have him screaming, "Are we ready for mayhem?" And then like cut to two very actually competent, like serious looking robots. <laughs> it's it's it wouldn't be the same, but yeah. And then they kept that metal Matilda shun the circle a lot in the later run. They decided, you know, we, we don't need Sergeant Bash in this. Yeah, they they couldn't figure. Yeah, apparently they just couldn't figure out a way to make him a serious contender. They wanted to keep it more serious. They wanted this to be a serious presenting thing, and it got me like thinking, like, where was was that? What was missing? Was this what was the hiccup? Was it just they took it a bit more seriously than it should have been, or? Was it a problem with presenting? What caused this to end? Because this is I a show that really should still be on the air right now, as far as I'm concerned. I think it's a mixture of things. I think um, I think it was partly the... Well, I think it's partly because robot combat, it's a very niche thing. Like, the original robot was, it was very much a, a like kind of phenomenon. Like, 
at its peak, it got about six million views, which is pretty insane given the amount of the amount of households of TV in Britain is back then probably like fifty some million. So that's like twelve percent. <laughs> and um, but I think that kind of audience has gone away quite a bit. Um, I think it was. I think it is. There. It just wasn't as exciting, like kind of. And um, also, it had really tough competition. Um, I remember in its first series, it came up against the Olympics, and I think in the series afterwards, it came up against David Attenborough's Blue Planet, which <laughs> you're not beating Blue Planet with Robot Wars. People are going to pick the first one. See, the problem is David Attenborough didn't do the commentation for Robot Wars. Well, the problem is Jonathan Pierce should have. Well, they should have gotten Jonathan Pierce to do Blue Planet. Imagine that. Look at the leopard! Just gnawing at the mongoose! <laughs> Blood everywhere! And the mantis is going in for the big flip! And the ant, surely doomed! They should cross the two. They should have the house robots in the David Edinburgh talks. And here we see a circular lot in its natural habitats. And it's tearing apart the cheetah! <laughs> Annoying. I'd watch the hell out of that. That would be unlike... yeah. That, that that would be the greatest show ever made. That is the greatest clash. A David Abram animal talk <laughs> was a Jonathan Pierce robot. <laughs> commentating. Uh, but what? <laughs> so I I was kind of like thinking like, well. Should it be Jonathan Pierce just being the announcer and that's it? Should they have new presenters? I think, I think if they brought it back, I mean, you, you, I mean, I'll, I'll, you keep Angela Scanlon because she's a gem. Um, but no, I don't know. I, honestly, I think in terms of the kind of future of kind of like TV robot combat, I mean, you've still got a, it's still on in uh, America's BattleBots. Um, it's happening in China actually now, and it's. I mean, it's obviously huge because Chinese population is huge. But yeah, I don't know what you do to bring back uh, robot was. I mean, does does people making like they're making like kind of YouTube based kind of uh, shows very similar uh, at a smaller level, of course, because then robot was was filmed in a hangar and it's kind of expensive to rent that out. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know what you I don't know what you do to bring it back really. I'm because that's the biggest question of this. Because the answer is yes, it should still be on the air. It still be bright. It should still be an American show. <laughs> it should be a British show. And it's like, okay, well, what channel? What network was the fault? It was BBC. Should have been BBC three or BBC four. BBC two should have been Channel four. Should it was have... yeah. BBC really didn't put any. Uh, BBC really like didn't put any F into it. I remember uh, during like. I remember in the build-up to the ninth series, um, people, like I think I saw one advert for it. That was it. I did too, and it was funny because it was right next to uh, Patty McGinnis's Catch Point, <laughs> like coming up a brand new quiz show. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, oh boy. You know, it, it's fun. Like right in the middle of Michael McIntyre's big show, <laughs> your one <laughs> clip for Robot Wars, and then you're. That's it. Uh, so, so my first one is: I think this should have been like on a premium, like on a paid channel. This should have been on a well, not pay like pay TV, like a like an ITV kind or a Channel Four with adverts. 
Yeah, commer- commercial channel, yeah. I mean, that might, I mean, one thing that would do is it would allow sponsors, which is, which, because, yeah, that would, that would allow, like, company sponsors of machines, which would allow them to build better machines because they'd have more money. Because <laughs> that's what happened on BattleBots, by the way. BattleBots yeah, they, had sponsors, and they had all the sponsors, sponsors and... little decals, everything. The, the, there's literally, there's literally, uh, competitors getting ready for the new series now who who with sponsor money have built like five like spare frames and stuff it's insane <laughs> that's what i would want so it would have to be a, a sponsorable because bbc i know it, it, i'm an american so i'm probably among american listeners here bbc is paid for by taxpayers in in the uk uh in ireland and other places through a licensing fee and through the rules of the House of Commons and Lords, the rules for telecast says if you run on BBC, you cannot have any sponsored content in any way. You can't say, uh, go buy a Ford, because you have to say, go buy a Ford or another car. you got to say something different. You can't just say, drink a Pepsi, not Coke. You have to say, Coke or Pepsi? Or you have to do the the generic branded cola drink. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, Yeah, you got basically cannot, like... Yeah, you can't you can't show any kind of favorability towards any one commercial brand. But if you're doing a sports broadcast, and every no matter where you are in the world, it's all marketing. It's all giant Coca Cola ads, or or like <laughs> Nestle chocolate. And it's yeah, like, I think I think Channel I think Channel Four would be a good. And it, yeah, I think Channel Four would be a good one for that because um, I, I I don't know about ITV because the vibe I, I get Channel from Five or Four like something that has like a sports broadcast. I don't want this to be Sky. That's the only question. Like, I do want this to be a Sky Sports thing. Ch- Ch- Channel 5, I'm not sure about, because um, the final series of was one five. The classic run-in, so I don't know. Maybe, I think that might be a cursed combination. A curse. like, yeah. But Channel 4, where you can have some sponsorship and you can have ad breaks, so that way you can act... Because with BBC, you, you go through a match and then go straight to the pit. Then you go back to the fight, then you go back to the pit. Then you go back to the fight, then you go back to the pit. And it's like, I feel like if you want to have a, 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 I don't want to say Americanized version of this, but if you're doing like a new Robot Wars, you just had the fight. You had the pregame interview. You had the postgame interview. When we come back, here's the next two. And you wouldn't believe who's going to enter the ring next. It's a return of an old house robot. <laughs> And then you just keep going with that. Like you, you have like your three fights, or or because I guess you have two halves, so you would do two fights, half, two fights, half, and like you'll be done. You'll be done like with, with a nice easy tournament because you have four acts. You can easily do your little tournament structure. Winner goes on to the grand final, and you're done. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, good work. Yeah. Um... You you have a redemption. You have a redemption. Like whoever lost in the finals of an episode goes back into a, a losers bracket, played in a Royal Rumble because everyone loves those Rumble brackets. The foreign ones. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, they, they, that was that was also a problem. I think the original uh, with the uh, kind of when they brought it back because um their first the first two series they had this thing where it was like a round robin format where. Yeah, you win these melees, and then for the rest of the heat, everyone fights each other. So that's like three fights. But what it ended up being is like by the third, by the like the end of the episode, half the bots are like not working anymore. So it just turned into like absolute like shove matches. Just uh, yeah, 
so you have a technical background in this too. I forgot to bring that up. You have a bit of a technical background in this. How many fights do you think a regular robot can really hold into in a in a robot uh, fight? I think I mean it really dep- it it depends how much damage you take. It depends on the kind of pit the kind of pit crew you got behind you. I guess it also depends on how much how many spares of things you have. Um, so there's no one hard and fast answer. Like there's some bots that could keep on going for that can keep on going to the end without much trouble. There's some that are like one match wonders. So, <laughs> so yeah, it, it's a, it's a it's a various. It's kind of, it's kind of a variety of factors that play into that. But because it's because I was going to say like maybe three to five like would be the like the area. Uh, depending on the damage, of course, too, because like batteries or engines, if that malfunctions or you don't have a spare tire, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> Which would be funny because it's the because that's like probably the most worn out thing in the entirety besides batteries. Uh, so, but it's this if you because if you the idea is because I don't see what I think the problem was also with this reboot was they didn't really put in consideration exactly what you said the amount of of damage longevity for these robots yeah they they got it into a nice for the final series they got into like kind of a nice they got into a really like nice structure where um uh, it's 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 an it'd be it's strong to get into like in here but basically there wasn't it wasn't just kind of a saturation. It wasn't just kind of like five fights in one episode. It, the most you'd have is maybe three, maybe four. It's so yeah. It's a, it it keeps things fresher for the audience and um, keep means there's less wear and tear. And and so here's how I would do it. Here's my version of it: three fights, and it's a it's a basically like a big sixty four seed bracket. So you can get through your sixteen, your eighth, your fourth, your like mastermind, basically. <laughs> uh, where it's the you have to you only the, the fastest path is you got to get through three fights. You get through three fights, you win the show. Um, but if you're in the losers bracket in the qualifier, there is one runner-up challenge to get to the final. So you can have your second chance uh, fight in, in against the champion of the first three fights. So if you lose, you you might have lost the first round, but you can still win with three fights. So you have a bit more fights. Uh, you have three fights per episode, uh, three minute rounds. You keep the like you keep house robots. Uh, you you bring back the ref bot. Bring back the ref hashtag. Bring back the ref bot. Um. And then I would say you would have to get like uh, you get Amanda, but then you would have to get like someone who has like a background in engineering. Like you I don't would think someone really... who's a technical person as well. I don't think. I think. I mean, I think to be honest, just as long as your host has like energy and so see what they, they can't. With, you uh... can't have mild manner. You can't have mild, like someone like mild manner, Darby. You need a. You need a child. <laughs> you wouldn't want someone who has you know what no get you know what drop drop Dara get Frankie Boy on the line. <laughs> well, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> get him to say curse words and racial slurs. And... Uh, might have to might have to put it a bit past the watershed then. No, uh, I would have to. Uh, Trying to, th- it's it's real tough. I have to think of a lot of technical like. Like team like, I, I for a second I thought Richard Iwadi because of Gadget Man. But he's just a comedian, and it's—I don't want a comedian. I don't want a comedian presenter in this. 
I think you should have like a new face. You need to have a fresher face. And this, and I mean, this, and this one's just Jonathan Pierce has to be on camera doing the commentary, just like all telecasts sometimes. Well, do. Just in, I'm just imagining like him in a just like a let's players react cam, but it's Jonathan Pierce. <laughs> That's what I want, don't you? Because you know he's probably going, what a what a whopper. <laughs> That's what I, I mean, want to uh, see. <laughs> I think I think one thing we could work for commentator is having two, because um in the current series of BattleBots, they have two they have Kenny two Florian um, and Chris Kenny Rose. Florian. Uh, yeah, and even it works I think it works better than having one because if you, even if you've got a boring fight, they can play off of each other. They can have that kind. Of, they can keep things interesting. Whereas if you've got one person watching a boring fight, there's all they've got to go off of is that boring fight. Well, so it it's because uh, energy. Chris Rose is a is a play by play guy, and he does yeah. uh, a lot of sports journalism here in America. He's actually a really smart guy, really funny guy. And Kenny Florian is a fighter. He's an MMA fighter. So he doesn't yeah. really have the experience of like, I know what these robots are doing, but he can say offense, defense. He can make it seem like an actual fight when he uses <laughs> his own terminology, which gives it that yeah. kind of thing that's necessary for this kind of show. Cause this is really theoretically just like a death match, but without humans, it's robots. <laughs> okay. So we need to, we need to get uh, Conor McGregor. <laughs> Conor McGregor. <laughs> I'd rip his fucking head off. No, he's no, he's charming guy. Now he's charming uh, Conor McGregor. Just, just, just leap into the arena and start a fight with Refbot or something. <laughs> I don't like that Refbot one bit. <laughs> it's that or it's gonna have to be like WWE. I know one WWE superstar, but that might actually be where it ends up happening. Uh, but yeah, it needs like a, a more sports feel to it. It needs commercial breaks. It needs endorsements. Three fights, a winner's bracket to be the fast path, a loser's run to be a second chance. Because usually when it's the first round, which I have seen, it's always like a mishap with the electronics. Like the, the signal didn't work, so it just got incompatible within the first 20 seconds. There's a, yeah, there's, um, yeah there's, there's one thing that, yeah, a lot of the robots in the UK, they, they kind of use things which are called like links. Basically, they're fail-safe, so if, if the robot goes out of control, you can just kind of like grab take that out and it kills it but a lot of what happens ends up happening is they, they get like a hard bump and they just die it just falls out uh and i would and i would also keep the pit crew make it like back and i wouldn't i wouldn't do direct dramatic backstories but i would have definitely like hi we've been engineering for the last eight years and this robot we've perfected is the best robot because that that the da and then you go straight to the pit. So this is your robot. So uh, how much hours did you, it take to build you into this? So who's piloting this robot? Uh, does this excite you? What what? Make, so you're going up against a flipper bot. What's your strategy? Or you're going against a spin bot. You're going up against Chaos 2. He's returning. How do you feel? <laughs> and then you go to Chaos 2. And then you have like... Here's the record of chaos too, and then cut to like Jonathan. He's the winner. <laughs> He's back. Chaos too. So uh, the last time you won was about twelve years ago. Uh, what made you want to go back into the fighting arena? Well, because I have a kid now, and I want to show him that anything is possible. Do do do. 
So the kid's going to pilot this? How does it feel piloting your father's uh, pilot robot? I think, yeah, I think, honestly, I do think you could, I do think to a large extent, just just find a way to do kind of the BattleBots format, but make it feel a little bit less American to give it more of a Robot Wars kind of flavor. I don't know what that would look like, though. And one last thing, to make it stand out from BattleBots, even though there is a bit of BattleBots in this, you get the cube from the cube. <laughs> you get all that camera angles and shots. <laughs> so when there is a spark, it's super slow-mo spark. <laughs> when there's the flip, you see a very theatrical flip. Oh, no, you... I want it to you, be you like me... a... I want this to be like 300. So you see like a weird whip pan <laughs> to a... <laughs> That that's literally what they do for the Chinese ones, and it's so annoying to watch. Like a robot will get a flip, and it will cut to <laughs> the, it cuts to each of the like <gasps> for like. Oh, we don't want reaction shots. We just want like the whip. Yeah. <laughs> I want it to feel like you are you are like there's a drone camera at any time. <laughs> and then there's a bonus rule: if you knock out the drone camera, you win. <laughs> <laughs> But it's such a high spot that it's like it's impossible. <laughs> um, I don't know with, with these flippers nowadays, anything's possible. <laughs> yeah, like I think it's. I think they just decided against the PSI. They should like put as much PSI as you want. I don't care. <laughs> well, you need to keep it safe. Then. I mean, I, th- I think now they've been like bulletproof glass around the arena. So. I in the in the um yeah in the in the, in the like uh, last season they had like. <laughs> One of the layers of like bulletproof glass got shattered because one of the bots it had this massive spinning bar and it literally just flew. It literally was like wasn't attached properly. It flew off and just shattered this layer. I mean, thankfully it didn't shatter the next layer and like mer- like kill ten people or whatever. Oh my god! I just okay. I have some more fun fact here. I have a fun because f- I'm looking Ooh. through the wiki. So Nicola not only did not give Sergeant Bash his <laughs> flamethrower, they had to call Sir Kill a lot Sir K. <laughs> Because <laughs> you can't say kill. Honestly, I think if they're doing Nickelodeon Robot Wars, they they miss a they miss a trick. So just be like a gunge zone. Yeah, they just get some slime. It's Nickelodeon. It should be slime <laughs> all over the place on that. Even though they have crystal maze now, they don't do slime. <laughs> <laughs> but like, like the it's such an exciting show, and it's such it's supposed to be. I think it's like the perfect mid afternoon kind of show, or a nice prime time yeah, fight but, sequence. I remember um, it used to be part of this wonderful. I remember because it when it aired on BBC Two, it aired, it used to be like I think it was five o'clock. You'd get Fresh Prince Bel Air. Six o'clock, you'd get uh, like proper classic Simpsons, like the real Golden Era, and then it was Robot Wars. Which, it was just the best lineup for, Friday, like a for a Friday night. <laughs> As you wait for like your internet to boot up. <laughs> uh, it, no, it, like that's what makes Robot Wars such an exciting show. And it, you need this this presentation to feel sports. You need this to feel way sports like. You need this to feel like the future. It's like a future fight sport. Yeah, uh, um, I will say that if any if anyone does want to watch. This classic robot was uh check out the channel NJGW and uh, the man has like pretty much nearly every series on there and all in pretty good quality. So they're really good qu- I actually saw an ep- I that's actually where I watched a couple of the episodes before. Yeah, because yeah, then yeah, before before then we were kind of living off of like really like 
quite poor quality VHS rips. So thankfully he's pulled the ball off. And that is also where you can find the Robot Wars History podcast. Okay, hey, you just <laughs> got to get that plug before in. we even did <laughs> Luke, you did your plug before we even ended oh, no. the show. Oh, well, it's fine. We'll, well, I've got to plug it. Plug we'll as well. <laughs> I did I, before you get to your final plug. I guess, like, I guess we're near the end of the show. Here. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to like say like like quick questions here. Like, who was your favorite presenter of all of them? Oh, like, it's fine. Clarkson, we can edit. Dara. Favorite presenter. Um, I mean, in terms of presenters in the booth, it's got to be Craig. Uh, if we're talking like. It's Jonathan. Individuals. It's, Jonathan. <laughs> it's Jonathan Pierce, obviously. He's the real host. I think he's actually the real host of the show. Really like, like people, people would say like, "Oh, if I could have someone like to narrate my life, it would be like uh, Morgan Freeman." It's like, no, give me Jonathan Pierce. I want Jonathan Pierce to make like me sat at my office desk or something exciting. Luke is chatting with Jordan on the computer. <laughs> <laughs> They're talking, talking about a game show that I was on. He's open the Excel. <laughs> and uh, did, well, actually, didn't even bring up what's your favorite house? Ro- uh, what's your favorite house robot? Favorite robot? Ooh, that is a toughie. It's it's tied. I think. I mean, I have a lot of love for Chaos Two because it was just because I like how it was. It was kind of trailblazing. Uh, George Francis is this like high voiced, very mild mannered man, and also because it stayed really competitive despite barely being upgraded for like four years which in a sport about technological advancement that's 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 like the difference between like king and like losing in the first round i, I mean i'd say my other tie is razor because oh, i've just always loved razor it, it was my favorite when i was like six and it it's i it, it it just feels good to see it man feels good to see it like doing its thing it's so round too. That's the funny thing. Like it's yeah, like, it, it came. It did. It came back for the reboot and went out in the most disappointing way possible. It grabbed. It grabbed another robot, took it towards the pit, but the other robot still had a tire on the floor, and so it kind of like it kind of like dragged it in with it. <laughs> and uh, like Matilda, probably, or Sergeant Bash as as the in-house robot. Oh, house robot! I think it, I'd have to go. I don't know. I think it. I think it would be. I think it might be Matilda. Yeah, just because. Just because. Um, it Matilda kind of went from being a joke bot with like a chainsaw that everyone bullied, and then they replaced the chainsaw with this massive disc, and it suddenly became the deadliest one. <laughs> uh, and then uh, let's see. We got those two. We had uh, my my house favorite house robots. I Refbot doesn't count. I don't think. You you can count Refbot. Why I just not? like it because it's just this weird, like Star Wars thing. <laughs> um, uh, and and then finally, finally, we have the final question here. <clears throat> so this is the last question of the show. This is a, the big game show question, and that's why there's dramatic lighting and everything. <clears throat> Let's create a robot. What is its name, and what are the weapons? Ooh, um, I I do. Well, uh, I can answer this because I do actually uh, the plan for the robot that I plan to make when I have the time, money, and to- and it's going to be called Sonnet, as in Shakespearean Sonnet, because you know you get so many robots. What are they called? They're called like Destroyer or Killer Hertz. 
So I think it'd be nice to name something gentle. Um, just just a regular kind of uh, push bot. It's got it's just the kind of wedge on the front kind of, to really to really like succeed based off of a driving skill, and just to give it that extra touch of class <laughs> for its armor, its paint job. You do like a Van Gogh style kind of like skyscape, like something like Starry Night. And I think that's a robot I'd <laughs> so build. All this caution tape, all of this like yeah, yeah, no, no caution look. tape, no like, no like, no like warning, like atomic symbols or whatever. Classic, you know, just straight up like university <laughs> dorm room kind of. <laughs> <bullshit>. <laughs> It's this, uh, no, it's, uh, I like it because it's very poetic. <laughs> Sonnet. But also, like, no, something tells you, like, that, that will catch people off guard a bit because it's like, why is it? And then because it's cloud, it's like a nice skyscape. It's going to be like, it, you could just easily play along with, like, the, this is as confusing as a jigsaw puzzle with clouds on it. I think, I think for its intro music, you could have, like, a nice, a nice, like, gentle, like, Bach piano piece. Like a viola playing in the background. String quartet. (laughs) And it's just like, but yet, even though here's like this nice wedge just flipping people on its side. (laughs) Oh, Sonic! (laughs) He's writing his own history, folks! (laughs) I'm sure Jonathan Pierce could come up with some cracking line, cracking Shakespeare based line. I'm sure he could. He's my partner in rhyme. We well, you know I was in a game show. <laughs> Len Goodman. I mean, if, if that works. <laughs> yeah, can we get Len Goodman to like stop by celebrity? <laughs> no, it's a sonnet. It's it's poetic. It's it's a nice. It's tranquil. It's a tranquil bot. Mm. And then you what? can play up the tranquil. Because you can say it's a tranquilizer kind of weapon because it's so peaceful. It'll put you to sleep. <laughs> and then incapacitates you for 10 seconds. Killing him softly with its words, truly. Very, it's perfect for BBC, right next to like an Only Connect yeah, special. And, like, you can stick it on BBC 4, it'll fit right in. <laughs> BBC 4. Right there next to like the complete history of theater in the, the complete history of William Blake or whatever. And did you know the importance of literature? We're going through the history of the great British bookstore. <laughs> I'm Jordan Haas. Don't get me confused with any of the people from the hit sitcom Black Books. We're talking about coming up and it's like thank you for watching up next on bbc fall <laughs> wonderful <laughs> oh it's sonic <laughs> i think that's i think that's why it should have maybe that's why it should have come back <laughs> sonic and then we're like sonic like the hedgehog no sonnet the poem <laughs> i love it i think that's just like a winning bot uh, this is where we're, this is well, now where you ask for the seed money. Uh, so where yeah, can yeah, people if, if, send you some money and listen to your Robot Wars podcast? Well, um, well, if you if you want, uh, I'm not currently accepting donations, but if you want to listen to the podcast, uh, watch Robot Wars, or listen to our new kind of sister podcast, uh, 
Robot Wars Wookiee randoms where me and two of uh, my hosts, we kind of, we, we go into the Robot Wars wiki, we press random, and we, whoever the first two to fight are, we match them up. Uh, it's it's brought great competitors such as Reality Warping Jonathan Pierce, uh, General <laughs> Robert E. Lee of the Confederate States of America, and all kinds of all kinds of wonderful guys like that. So, yeah, if you want to listen to them or watch Robot Wars, go to the channel NJGW. That's just the just the four letters. Uh, it's the four. I, I I'm trying to think of like what's a nice easy acronym. Uh, New Jersey Global Wrestling. There we go. <laughs> uh, uh, the. Because there's no L, I assume there was going to be an L. Uh, uh, not joking. Great work. There we go. Uh, thanks again, Lou, for stopping by and giving us a little sampling of the wonderful world of Robot Wars. Any, a pleasure. Thanks again to Luke for stopping by. I have been listening to a few of those episodes of his podcast about Robot Wars over at NJGW on YouTube. Yeah, just just look up NJGW. You can probably put in the YouTube search. It'll probably be easy for you. And it it is probably the most like extensive Robot Wars thing. Like everything from what kind of robot it is to who was piloting it to what was the weaponry, to what was like the me- the metal sheeting on these robots, to like what was the verdict. And it was kind of almost like a sports podcast, if, if that could make sense, which actually has makes sense because this is a sports broadcast kind of game show. But it is very much like if you saw like a, a soccer podcast or, a, or any football podcast and it was the post-game wrap-up, and there was the speculation and what could have happened here. What would happen if they did this? And it is really like if you are a fan of Robot Wars, I highly recommend you check that out because they knew stuff I had no clue about. Uh, all I know is the production side of stuff from here and there. So Tom Gutteridge, the guy that we talked about in the introduction that bought the rights of the, the format uh, from... Uh, Mark Thorpe, the the Star Wars guy, uh, he did a lot of stuff. He worked, by the way, at one point at Fremontal North America. He was one of the people in charge of American Idol and the Price is Right in its heyday. So it is like so fascinating to me. People do not really give him the time of day because he is one of the most influential people in the world of game shows. Uh, so... He not only created Robot Wars, I'm calling him one of the creators, he also created Question Time in the UK, which is one of the most influential British uh, debate shows of all time, which is something I really wish was kind of an American format too, kind of like a town hall debate kind of format uh, with, with the common people of America asking questions to their politicians. But alas, uh, anyway... 2015, he returned to the United States to work as a broadcast consultant after retiring at Fremontal North America. He was then contacted by BattleBots to be in charge of the international rollout of this rebooted show. 
he became executive producer of BattleBots International and launched the international sales of the show. This helped make the robot fighting series air not just in Spike, Channel 5, and Discovery Channel Germany. It actually wound up in over 150 countries. Currently, BattleBots is airing on the Discovery Channel and Science Channel here in America, and as of like a couple weeks ago, got picked up for a major episode pickup, meaning this show will probably still be on the air for three, four years. Rather, it's called Robot Wars or BattleBots. Who's to say? Now, of course, we talked about the Robot Wars side of things. So does that mean we're going to be talking about BattleBots? Oh, you bet. But when? Well, that's for history to find out. Maybe some other time. Now it's time, speaking of time, for the 110-part series exploring every pricing game from The Price is Right. This is the Pricing Game Spotlight. Buy or sell. Premier date, March 22nd, 1982, 8365D. Uh, finale era, May 8, 2007, 3982K. Premier date with Drew Carey, December 11, 2007. Finale date, May 29th, 2008. In buy or sell, the contestant had to buy or sell three prizes and make a profit out of this deal in order to win all three prizes and a potential cash bonus. The contestant was shown three prizes, each with an incorrect price above or below the actual price. One by one, the contestant determined rather to buy or sell that particular item. The goal was to profit by buying underpriced items and selling overpriced items. If the player bought the displayed price was low, they could buy it, but if they thought it was high, they would sell it. So it's, you know, higher or lower than what's shown. Just higher or lower. Uh, after all three decisions were made, the actual prices were revealed one at a time. For each correct decision, the difference between the prices was added to a bank. For an incorrect decision, the difference was subtracted from the bank. After all three prices have been revealed, if the contestant had a positive total in the bank, he or she won all three prices plus a bank total in cash. Breaking even, even if they ended with $0, was considered a loss, although the prices were usually chosen to prevent this from happening. On his first playing, it was one. The cash bonus was not added to the game until October 30th, 1997. The highest cash award possible in the game was $1,900. Since the differences used were always multiples of $100, and the tote board could not display anything larger than one in its thousands digit. The highest amount of $1,900 was won three times. Buy or Sell's tote board was staged in several different locations over the course of its first few playings. On November 30th, 98, the area of the board was changed from pink neon lights on a blue background, similar to Super Password, uh, when they destroyed the, the, the jackpot, to a greenish-blue LED light. As the original tote board was hard to read, in the few times this was read, the purple base of Buy and Sell was much taller than it was later on. Most number of times this planning season was 20. The entire time it was in rotation, Buy or Sell was never the first game to play in the pricing game list this game's uh bears a similarity in concept to shopping spree buy or sell was never offered three cars buy or sell was one of the first of the new blah blah blah, blah. i fucking hate it. why is this still here why is this still here 
This is just made to mock me. I'm not going to even list off the date one anymore. Anyway, retirement. Uh, the game retired because too many contestants were confused by the concept. Not helping matters was the staff disliking the game itself. Strangely, the last time it was played, the price display was glitching. It was the first pricing game to be retired in the Drew Carey era. That's right. Buy or sell. It has, uh, it has the merit of being the first pricing game uh, that was considered too stupid for Drew Carey's Price is Right. Uh, and for good measure, it really was like complicated. And I, I mean, I like it because the big scoreboard. Uh, but other than that, I felt like just buy, sell, kind of like a stock machine. Also, you're not really buying it. You're not using the money to buy the item. You're se- and if you're not really selling it, if it's your, that that to me was what the confusion thing was. Uh, to me, that was uh, what was uh, so difficult. Also, I didn't really like the price reveal. I think what they should have done was just have it be like in three different rounds. Like you buy or sell this, high, buy or sell, and then you reveal the score. Then we go to second prize, read the prize, buy, sell, reveal, add. Final one, buy, sell, reveal, add. I think that would have added more drama to it. Uh, just to stretch it out just slightly more, although they are truncated for time. Maybe that's also why it was a little too long for, for what amounts to three prizes in cash. Uh, so maybe that's why it didn't work out so well. I do like the price display item. It was this really fake computer-looking thing. Uh, it definitely looked 90s nowadays. Uh, if you ever see any graphics of buy and sell, it has a display that screams, Disney, let's make a deal. When they were in uh, Disney MGM Studios, that version of the set, that's what it kind of reminds me of, even though it's not supposed to. Um, also, they get to push down on price tags and pull it up and all sorts of... Look, look it's a little, it's too complicated for something that really amounts to higher or lower, and then you add cash, and depending on how far off, that's what determines the win. Next time on the Price of Game Spotlight, because Jesus Christ, that was that's just... just Look, I like the game. I like the big scoreboard. I like the fact it's trying to be like a hustling stock market kind of game. But other than that, uh... next time on the Pricing Game Spotlight, we will be uh, Magic Number. The, the game is Magic Number. Ah, you know, I've been uh, recording stuff in advance. I, I, I hate to like break the fourth wall here. Um, a lot of these segments have been pre-recorded, uh, such as the interviews and all those other good things. And I, I have, I had a confession to make. I am recording this right now at midnight on Wednesday, like one day after recording game shows, I suppose, which was last week's episode. And, oh, man, I'm just so exhausted. Just so exhausted. Don't know why I had one of those rain total body fuels and for some reason just crashing and burning like an hour afterwards. But, hey, it's fine. Uh, anyway, I, I just wanted to do a quick game show review here because I like game shows and we do reviews here. And I saw a game show from the Britain. You know, the British game shows. Whenever there's not a format here like a Hot Ones, there's always something new in the UK. And this is a game called Jon Snow's Very Hard Questions. And a funny tweet, tweet I saw, uh, the scheduling guide says it's called Jon Snow's Very Hard. 
Anyway, if you love Only Connect for its trivia cerebralism and feeling stupid, this is right up your alley, but with more complicated rule formats. So, I think I'll butcher this, because I was somewhat trying to pay attention, but at the same time, very, very sleepy, and it I don't think it was really like the caffeine crash, it really is just a show. Hosted by Jon Snow, who is the Channel 4 News presenter, Very Hard Questions is a show where two teams of three compete against each other, but not really against each other, it's really to get the highest score by answering some very uh, hard questions. And the hard questions are just kind of somewhat challenging questions. But because it's nearly impossible to answer these questions straight up, the gimmick of the show is that they have lots of clues. Uh, So if you wish, you can shout out for one of a few clues that are described and then are presented to the contestants. Uh, In round one, it goes back and forth with one question each with no clock. Uh, There is four points if they just go uh, outright, but if they wish, they can use one of their seven personal clues uh, that can only be used during that round, and I think it's only five questions, maybe four questions per round, so be careful of when to use your clues because you don't want to wind up clueless. If they use a clue, they lose one point out of the potential pot, kind of like Only Connect. Uh, With Only Connect being if you just go straight up, it's five points, then three, two, one. Here it's four, three, two, one. If you don't get the question right, you get no points. The clues that I saw in this episode of Very Hard Questions were the following. Feel free if you feel, feel this is also boring. First letter, the an- the John Snow will give you the first letter in the correct answer. So they'll say W or M or J or whatever. Second is a picture clue. Much like an only connect puzzle, there's a photo and it has something to do with the answer. Then there's extra fact, where there is going to be an extra clue to the correct answer. Kind of like, oh, they were also born in Hungary in 1950. Whatever. Uh, next is definition, where there is a dictionary definition, or let's be honest here, a Wikipedia entry, of the correct answer. Uh, in add words, um, they basically turn the question into a Jeopardy question by putting clues in the words. So now it's not what politician, it's what labor politician, or what conservative politician. A different question uh, changes the entirety of the question into something that might be a little easier with the same answer involved. Uh, Next is related words, where almost like password, they give three words, and they're all single words, and they all have something to do with the correct answer. Uh, You can pick any one, at least once, but once it's been used, it is out of the game. So poor question writers have to write down seven potential clues for every question, many of which will go unused. I just want to point that out right now to let you know why I dislike the show besides how boring it is. Because you are wasting so many clues and so much time researching some of these questions when you're trying to do these little clue things. In round two, 
uh, each team gets a separate group of three clues, uh, three questions. They can pick it, the answer at any time, uh, but there is a catch now. Uh, they ha- they can either stop and take the points they've earned in that round or go on and answer one of the two remaining questions or the final question. There's only three questions per round, but in this time around, there is now five clues, sometimes with more additional help than what was originally in the selection. So in this game, I saw multiple choice was one of the new clues, which can turn it into a multiple choice question of four possible answers, like millionaire. Uh, Second is an audio clue, much like the picture clue from Only Connect, but with audio. What does this song have in common? And third, redacted text, which was a fun fact sentence with a fill-in-the-blank answer, and the -the fill-in-the-blank was the correct answer. But remember, if you get it wrong, not only do you lose the points on the question because it's round two, you lose all the points you've accumulated up to that point in the round. So you could have gotten three points on the first question and then gone on to question two and got it wrong and lose everything. Whoa, what high-stakes game is this? Uh, you can walk away at any time, though, and then you'll see some answers. You are reminded, though, to really play a risky because only the top two scoring teams will make it to the grand final, where they'll be playing against each other for 5,000 pounds and a trophy. That's right. They're not really against each other. It's against everyone who has the most points. So it's 5,000 pounds and a trophy, which is 5,000 pounds more than what you went on Only Connect. Um, this is... This is the game show, by the way. 5,000 pounds and a trophy. Yep. Two teams against each other with a bunch of clues. Uh, They get to choose their question selection walk away. In round three, though, this is when the game at least somewhat becomes somewhat interesting. I think there's six questions in this slot, maybe five. I lost count. They go back and forth, but now I believe there's only 30 seconds to answer a question. You can use uh, clues as many times as you would like, but in this round, all the clues are randomized based on what is the question type. Uh, And second, uh, it follows the 4-3-2-1 rule, which makes it somewhat interesting to watch and play along and answer because then you can actually kind of like see a lot of questions, a lot of clues, and because it's three predetermined ones, less research. Huh, how about that? Um, I think it's six questions. And then after all those questions have been asked, because we have to keep going with the clues, and this time it's all jumbled up, by the way. So it might be multiple choice on one. It might be first letter. It could be uh, audio clue, picture clue. It doesn't matter. The final question of the game is called the very hardest question, and it is worth eight points, and then it goes down one point, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, with each time, uh, which is only on a buzzer, and it's one question. If they get it right, they get all the points in that question, and the game ends. If they get wrong, however, uh, the entire team is out of the competition for now, uh, and the other team has a chance to score and get some points with any remaining clues that they need and it basically is just Jon Snow going all right uh let's do picture clue let's change the question let's uh, add words let's uh 
Let's fill in the blank. Let's dictionary for five points. And it's just dull. It's, I nearly fell asleep watching. I get it. You want to have these challenging questions, and the idea is supposed to be tough as nails trivia, but it's not a knockout tournament like only Connect. The teams are really playing just against the scoreboard. That it it kind of feels like if all these questions and how they write them wouldn't have been easier and they get to know people if they just had one team play uh, against the clock and it's just a score builder game. Or, better yet, what if you ditch the whole tournament idea and you just make it a beat the house kind of game show? Uh, so... When I kept seeing this game, I was like, well, the clues are a kind of novel. I kind of like the way they're handling this, but it's so boring, so dull. I understand you want to have these cerebral questions, but it's just, it, there's a difference between like an only connect where it's like one minute you're talking about uh, the romantic period and then the next you're talking about like J-pop. But in this show... It kind of just is this weird mix of like they're trying for pub trivia, they're trying to go for like tough questions, but it really is just like there's not a lot of stakes in this game. They're, the questions are very fresh, but after seeing so many of these clues and cerebral types, it reminded me a lot of the YouTube series Lateral, which also makes sense because I think... Uh, Bodycomb wrote some of those questions on that. And it's just this fascinating game show of clues, but also the most driest, boringest quiz show out there. And I basically, after watching this, nearly fell asleep, but then I kind of had scribbled down what I would have done instead. Uh, this is my pitch for what I would have done for a... Uh, version of this now i think very hard questions as like here's some tough questions and here's some clues if you use clues you, you it costs you point i like that idea i think that works but it's such a uh i i think it's just it's the team format and john Sh and john snow i think that's just it and he's a like he's john snow he's mr newsman and it's just, this just feels like he should be hosting Jeopardy. He shouldn't be hosting very hard questions. He should be like hosting a channel for a game show based on uh, current events rather than uh, very hard questions. And I, I can't wait to see which person in the game show fandom wants this to be in America or something because I don't. I, I, if I did, I had to make a lot of changes. Um, in fact, this is like a whole different format. So if I was to do very hard questions, this was my Americanized take, but also would probably make it a lot better. It's a team of three. And I, I kind of have Tenable in thought when I was writing this, because I like Tenable in that here's a big team and it's a team versus house game. The format is based around these clues. These Joker cards, because in, in the world of, of game shows and, fr and European formats, especially French and some, and originally a lot of uh, UK shows, they weren't lifelines or helps. They were Jokers, and Jokers would add benefits to a game. Um, and so I would base very hard questions around Jokers. 
and I would make it one part quiz show, one part luck-based game show. I think you can do big cerebral with luck base in this kind of format. So here's how I would do it. You have a team of three, and they get to delegate. There's no time limit. They have five questions in round one. Each of these questions is worth 2,000 pounds. If you are incorrect, you lose everything in that question, so you go back to zero. But you can, however, uh, play a joker. In a joker, uh, you get to the value of the question is worth half now. Since of 2,000, it's 1,000. You can use up to two jokers per question, meaning 2,000 could become 1,000, it could become 500. There is no penalty, though. If you get it wrong, you're not like deducted money. It's just out of play. So the whole game of the first five questions is to build a bank. So 500 here, 1,000 here, 2,000 here, zero here, 2,000 there. Or if you play a perfect game, five perfect 2,000s, that's 10,000 pounds. Um, these jokers are predetermined. So you will see the question, and then you'll see the two jokers that would be used. And because it's predetermined, the questions can be a little faster, or you can even actually now have some fun with it. So you can have like a charade clue. A guy can run out and do some charade to the answer. You can have a draw game. You can have a celebrity cameo guess. You can go out and about instead of just leave it in the case of cerebral, high stakes, uh, this former blah, blah, blah. You can now have fun with it. You can have it be like scrambled up letters. You can have it be um, some some sort of uh, not physical challenge, mind you, but but something that's that's more in the realms of like a drawn answer or something silly that could actually help the contestants or not help them, and that plays into it. So you have these tough questions, these very hard questions, but now it becomes well, I don't know, a Joker. And then it's like, well, here you go uh, to help you out. Here is somebody from Love Island uh, giving you 30 seconds to explain everything they can about this person. And now you have a fun format because it's not necessarily like the answer's Theresa May. Now it's just here's some bumbling idiot trying to talk about Theresa May. That makes for a funny format because now you with the team are going, I don't, what the hell was that about? Uh, and that makes it fun and lighthearted and great. Uh, and because it's two, you can then use a second clue if that was like pointless and play along. Uh, so after those five questions, then you can cut to the commercial break and you get to go to the next five questions. In these five questions, this is what makes it very exciting stuff is the value of the question is now the value of whatever it was from round one. So if, say, you got 1,000, 2,000, 500, and you got two wrong, you got 3,500, every correct answer will be worth 3,500 pounds, and there are five more questions, so 10 questions overall. That means you can get another 16,500, or is it 17,500? Uh, and you just basically continue playing this game with the same rules of here are your two potential jokers, but now the stakes are a little higher. If you flopped in that game, the value of the question is 300 pounds. Uh, 
So if you play a perfect game, 10,000, and you beat the first, which means instead of now 2,000 pounds, each question is worth 10,000 pounds, five times 10 is 10,000 plus the original 10,000 means you have 60,000 pounds at stake. This goes into play with the final question of the game. Uh, just like in the last one, uh, say before we get to it, 3,500 pounds, you can half and half, uh, just like in round one with any jokers you might have. Once again, if you blow it, you don't get any money. Uh, but we have five questions, and the questions are a little harder. And the final question is where all of that banked money is in play. It is the hardest question of the game. And it really is the most challenging question they can think of in the question term. For every, you can, in this in this time around, uh, the jokers just simply count as safety. They're simply your safety to help you out. Uh, you can use them. I don't want them to be used as halves, though. What you use them for is simply put so you can get some money. Because while I'm saying the top prize is 60000 I'm thinking realistically. They're going to be using up to 10 jokers for the entirety of the show. So imagine half here, half there. They go for it. They blow it. They get this wrong. They get that wrong. And they're roughly in like the 10,000-pound range, maybe a few thousand pounds, like 4,000, 5,000. A little low. So now the final question is worth like about 5,000 pounds. Now you have like, say they only use like two jokers left. They have two final jokers in this final game. Um, if for some reason they completely screwed up every question in the game, it's only worth 100 pounds and it's a pity 100. Um, but that's not all. When I, I, at the beginning of the show, I did say this is a luck-based game show. Uh, and this is where the jokers play a crucial role. Yes, they're using jokers, but... It's one of 10 jokers that they have during the game. Each one of these jokers has a potential prize. Lots of them booby prizes, but some of them might be special gifts. I don't know if I want to do like triple the money. I don't know if you want double the money. I don't, I don't know about cash prizes, but you can put like a nice holiday. You can put like a television, a laptop, an electronic, a, 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 a mobile, as they say. Uh, so it becomes this quest of you need to get it right so you can get the jokers, but if you can't get it right, what good are these jokers? And now these jokers have a prize attachment to them, and that's what you're at risk for using them in the final round. So it's how many jokers you want to use, and which of these envelopes of jokers do you want to use that becomes crucial. And that makes for a nice mystery prize as well. So yes, the top prize is 60,000, but then you got to put in consideration maybe like another 2,000 pounds worth of prizes, maybe 3,000 or 4,000, because you got to have like a nice vacation, nice holiday. You need to have like a television, uh, but but it's going to be like very limited, like 5,000 pounds worth of prizes uh, in addition to, and because you're play, playing it for more lightheartedness, like the very hard questions are still like this kind of cerebral nature, uh, you can make it highbrow and lowbrow enough to reach a wider audience and keep people on board because there's a variety in each of these 11 questions. 
You're not really killing the writing staff by writing a whole lot of help that will never be used. You can have the contestants be standing around. You can have them uh, rotate if you want. You can have all sorts of interesting uh, dilemmas here. Uh, and that's what I was thinking for this. Now, I also originally said six questions for each, and it rotates, but I like the dynamic of Only Connect, and I like the idea of the teams working together to beat the house together, so you can hear them talk it out, and I think that is what's missing in one of these game shows, is like something like Million Pound Drop, where they were supposed to talk out the answer and then go for it. With Only Connect, the murmur, murmur, murmur. With uh, with uh, pointless, mur, 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 except for in the final round. So, with 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 a quiz show like this, where it's very challenging questions, and then the help is intended to be funny, you have this uh, potential to be very silly, fun, and jokey at the same time. And you're not getting that with whatever this Channel Four version is. I like the idea of the clues. I like the idea of challenging questions and here's clues. And if you use them, there's like a small penalty. But this was, the set was nice, I guess. But other than that, I felt this to be boring. It reminded me a bit too much of Headhunters as well in some regards. Just because there's no cash prize doesn't mean it's a bad show. But it feels like by doing points and then only having cash reward at the end, it feels very limited, especially for a Channel 4 series. Uh, so, in conclusion, I dislike this show, but it's not, like, too annoying to me. It's I, I think you can still play along with the show. The hosting is okay. The set is fine. But I'm by no means going to return to the show. But maybe it's for you. It's not for me. And my rating right now is C minus. Uh, just say like a, I would say like a like a sixty five percent. If I don't know letter grade, because there's not really letter grades that much, but it's like a C minus. It's like not really a, a fun show for me to watch. But hey, if trivia is your thing, you might have fun with this. I just wish there was more fun. And I wish there was more excitement, and I wish there was more energy to this. This doesn't feel like an ITV show, but it also doesn't feel like a show that stands out in any meaningful way, especially in daytime. So if there's a way to do that, I say go for it. I would watch it if there was like mini games played, like a hangman game or uh, some sort of like uh, a mini version of like uh, a riddle or some sort of silliness that you can add to it would be fun uh this is very dry and for that i fell asleep so uh hope you have sleep dreams i guess um but yeah i'm, I'm done with this so i uh, do not recommend and i'm gonna place my bets uh, on who will say that
And that's all the time we have this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you want to listen to more episodes, just go to jordanhaas.com slash podcast. You'll see every episode of Game Shows, I suppose, over there. Hit a little like button so I'll let you know you're here. That's a little secret. Also, uh, if you want to hear it on the go, we are available on Apple Podcasts. We are available on Spotify. We're on Google Play. We're pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. Uh, be sure to leave a comment, that whole five-star rating comment system. Let me know what game shows you want me to talk about. Uh, you can find me over at Twitter at Jordha, J-O-R-D-H-A. Feel free to say hello. Let me know what things you want to know about game shows. I'll be sure to answer and be your friend. And not only that, but uh, you can check me out on Patreon, patreon.com slash Jordan J-O-R-D-N-H-A-S-S, where there's a fleet of supplemental content and videos like Munch, where I get to munch things, because I like to say munch. Does it have to do with game shows? No, but I like to plug sometimes. Anyway, that is going to do it for us this week. Thank you once again for stopping by, and join me again next week when we'll be talking about another great game show. I suppose I'm going to be your birthday boy, Jordan Haas, signing off. Good night, and big smooch! Mwah!